We've been working through this book, uh, the book of Philippians. We've gone through two chapters. Uh, chapter one, we dealt with suffering for the gospel. Chapter two is service for the gospel. And number th- chapter three is going to be surrender for the gospel. And uh, the first aspect of this surrender, as we're going to see in this first nine verses or so, is in relation to salvation, in relation to righteousness. A lot of people, they try to minimize the fact that salvation has to do with righteousness. The word righteousness, we use the word right. Uh, The Bible says uh, that every man's, or um, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So we know that you can think you're right, righteous, that's where the word comes from, but you can be wrong. And we can't gamble with this. But when it comes to your soul and eternity, this is nothing to gamble with. You know, you maybe want to gamble with things on this earth that don't really matter, but don't gamble with your soul. There's a way we can know. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know you have eternal life. That's a present knowledge. That's not will know or maybe could know. That says you can know. Right now, I know since that day, I give you my little testimony there during announcement time. That day, I began to know I had eternal life. It's never been gone since. I've never struggled with that. Many, many people do. And sometimes because of uh, indoctrination and past teaching and so forth. But I've never struggled with that. I just simply believe that right from the start, I've never struggled with my eternal security. I just believe, well, maybe it's because I realize, man, if it's not all him, then I'm done. <laughs> you know, if, it, if it's this much me involved, then I might as well give up right now. I'm glad it was all him. Amen. And that's what we're going to see here in chapter 3. It says here in verse number 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And so it's always about joy. Joy is really the theme of the book. And now he's talking about joy in our surrender. It's not always that joyous to give up things. Amen. Do you guys like giving up things? Preacher's always preaching up here and he's always telling us we've got to stop this and give up that. And it's not very joyous for a lot of people. But the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice. And I like what he goes on to say. He says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. So what that means is, is like every preacher knows what this means. That means we get up here week after week and preach. Uh, well, we preach different things, but essentially we repeat a lot of things all the time. And the Apostle Paul is saying, the fact that I'm reiterating what I've taught to you before is not grievous for me. He's, this, is, this is something, I'm not grieving over that. It's necessary. Folks, you know uh, you can be told something and you've got to be told again and again. How many children, when they grow up and you're teaching them something, actually hear it one time and then they get it? Never. Teaching is repetition over and over. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, it's not grievous that I say the same things to you. Then it says, but for you, it says, indeed, it's not grievous, but for you, it is safe. In other words, he's saying, I'm doing this over and over because I'm concerned about your safety. 
And that's important. We need to make sure that we keep spiritually safe, especially in this wicked world that we live in. It goes on to say in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision with which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. I'm going to read this next verse to you. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And dung, my friend, means dung. Amen. And it says, And having, not having mine own righteousness. Think about that. The Bible says that the Pharisees, they went about establishing their own righteousness. What that means is, well, you know, I just think that every man has to choose the way he wants to go, and that is the right way. Well, that's establishing your right way, but there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so you got to be careful of that right way. Amen. The Apostle Paul is saying, he says, when I come to the end of this, I count all but loss. Everything that I think is important about myself, it's nothing. And when it comes to the end, I will not be having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of which is of God by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just bless this message. Uh, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use it, but I pray, Lord, if there's someone that does not know Christ today, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, notice that verse there. Simple thing he says, but in verse number 8, I believe it is. Verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, Those I counted loss for Christ. That, my friend, is a key verse. See, you can't get saved unless those things that once were a gain to you, you have lost them. And that's what we're going to look at today. The Apostle Paul gives us a list of things that he used to look at as what made him righteous in the Lord's eyes. Yet, when he came to a knowledge of Christ, he says, you know, I look at all those things I used to think were gain, and I now count them but loss for Christ. See, folks, it's either Christ or it's you. There's no mixture. It's not you and Christ. But your salvation, it has to be what Jesus did for you or it's what you're going to do. You can say, I've met people, man. I remember I went to this one door in my first ministry. It was a very sketchy area all the doors were bent on the top and the bottom there were metal doors from people kicking and hitting and i was looking over my shoulder as i'm walking down the the uh the hallway of this apartment building 
And I met a lot of interesting people there. Uh, one person, uh, she had just been sniffing gasoline and she was so high she could barely talk. And I tried to encourage her and talk, tell her about Christ. I went to one door and I, and I knocked on that door. And I, by the way, we didn't bring our ladies into this building. It was just the men. We were risking our own lives. Amen. And I remember opening up this one door and this man opened up and his face was just a bloody pulp. I mean, he was bleeding and his face was fat and swollen and bloody nose and puffy eyes and black eyes and fat lip. And so obviously he'd been in some kind of a scuffle. <laughs> Amen. And I gave him the gospel, and I told him how that Jesus Christ came to pay for his sin so that he wouldn't have to pay it. He looked at me square in the eye, he says, I'll pay my own, and he slammed the door in my face. See, people do that. They say, I'm going to pay my own. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to pay your own, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, and the only payment that you could possibly give for your sin is death. It's a death penalty. You're a criminal in the court of God. And it's a death sentence. Well, I say, oh, I'll pay it. Death sentence isn't annihilation. You're not going to cease to exist. The word death does not mean cease to exist. It actually means a separation. The Bible talks about the second death, the lake of fire. See, death is simply, physical death is simply when you're separated from that which is physical on this earth. But you continue on. Your soul continues. The second death is the second separation. It's appointed every man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. And that judgment will determine, based upon the decision you make this morning, some of you, whether you will experience that second death. That second death, as the Bible says, is in the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now, that's not a, a fun thing to talk about. It's necessary, though. You have to tell people. And so, salvation. Here in this passage, he says, those things I, that were gained to me, that, that I thought profited me, I counted them loss. In fact, it wasn't that I just eliminated them. He says, but I actually look at them as damage, as a detriment. See, the things that I used to trust in, that it was going to get me righteousness before God, I'm not just canceling that out. I'm looking at now at, as a negative. Those things were actually damaging me. <laughs> they were a detriment to me going forward. Until I finally counted them loss. Everything that I thought was gain. In my life, I always thought that somehow I was pretty easy to get along with. I got a pretty easygoing nature with people. I'm not harsh and hard on people. And so I could get along with anybody. You know, you'd have some groups there, you'd have some groups there. And these guys couldn't get along, but I could get along with them and I could get along with them. Because I never got in the middle of their little scuffles. So I always thought, because I was pretty easygoing and people liked me, that somehow that was going to count. But you know, there had to come a point in my life where I realized that I had to count that loss. That has nothing to do with my righteousness. See, with all of us, there's something like that. Something that we're looking at that is gain, profit. We're saying, this is what it is. That makes me right. 
And we need to understand that all those things that we think make us right are nothing. And in fact, they're worse than that. They're a detriment. They're a damage to you because they're keeping you lost. They're keeping you trusting something that isn't real. Something that will not carry you through. There is a way that seemeth right. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And we've got to be careful about that. Sometimes the things the world holds too important are detriment, detrimental to our spiritual growth, our usefulness as well. And so he goes on here. Now, there's a set of threes here. The first set of threes is, is three warnings that he gives us. Then after he gives us the three warnings, he gives us three traits of those that truly believe. And these things actually give us some insight into what Paul's talking about. Now, the first thing here, he says, beware of dogs. Now, some of you are saying, what do you mean? I have a dog. (laughs) Amen. Now, we need to understand that dogs in the scripture here, it's not talking about your little, uh, um, what do you call them? Golden doodle. What is yours, brother? A Maltese. It's not talking about the Maltese. Okay, don't be aware of cuddles. (laughs) All right? (laughs) Don't be aware of Pippi. You know? Don't be aware of peaches. You don't have to worry about peaches at all. She will not bring you any harm. But do you understand the biblical days that they didn't have dogs as pets? In fact, dogs usually just wandered around and they traveled in packs and they would just forage and they would go kill things and they would eat the garbage and they'd be a nuisance basically and and they would cause problems and even damage and hurt if they were wild and so the character of the dogs the apostle paul is relating to some people now these people are what we would look at as false teachers or deceivers people that are deceiving you in the way of righteousness or in the way of salvation so the first thing he says beware of dogs Now, the word beware means to be able to see or have the faculty of sight. That means don't get carried away or don't get offended about cuddles or pippy and so forth. But let's see what he's really talking about here. Beware. Let's look at this here. And he says, you got to be careful because these people are all around us. And each one of us, I'm sure, at some point in your life has talked to somebody that has given you a false gospel. A false gospel. And you may say, oh, well, that's just what they believe. Well, that's not what the Apostle Paul said. Paul called him a dog. Well, that's just mean. Well, it is what it is. (laughs) But that is what it is. The Bible calls him a dog. And not a cuddle dog. Not a pippy dog. We're talking a vicious dog. We're talking a dog that that forages and, 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 and... causes problems in your yard and rips up things and and makes a dirty scene and so forth these are not good dogs amen and so this word dog it's interesting in proverbs 26 verse 11 it says as a dog returneth to his vomit so a a fool returneth to his folly So here he's giving the nature of a dog, relating it to the nature of a fool. And a dog, no matter what you do with it, it keeps doing the same stupid things, like going back and eating its own vomit. And you're saying, I'm disgusted with this dog. My nice dog with a little bow on the head. And you're not supposed to be eating vomit. 
Well, as much as you try to dress up that dog and change the nature of that dog, what it's going to do, it's going to continue to eat its own vomit. That's its nature. So what it's telling you about this deceiver is sometimes the deceivers put on a very good front and they seem religious and they even use the Bible and they're very uh, convincing in what they say. But when you watch them long enough, their nature always reveals itself. And that's where we as children of God are different. If you're born again here today, uh, like I've said before, we used to be like a pig in the mud. You know, a pig in the mud loves the mud. It loves rolling around in the mud. Now, you may think that's disgusting, but that's the nature of a pig. There's a reason why they do that. And you can scrub it up and you can put perfume on it. You can make it your pet and give it a leash. And if, you, if it gets off that leash, where's it going? Back to the mud. And you're going to pull out your hair and say, hey, I want you to be different. But you can't change the nature of a pig. That's what we were before we got saved. Before we were saved, it was easy for us to go back to the sinful things of life. I remember when I was lost, I would have a hard time connecting with people that said they were going straight. That was the word back then, you're going straight. I guess that meant they're saved. <laughs> you know, we just related it to being straight. We thought it was maybe a decision, a change of lifestyle or something, but it wasn't. I remember my brother, he helped me in my band for many years and he was our sound man, so he would do all the sound for us as we go out and travel and so forth. And so we had this one gig lined up, and I asked him, are you going to come do sound? He says, ah, I, I can't do that. Now, he was grieved. Whew. He was grieved in his soul, doing what he was doing. See, I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't get that because my nature hadn't changed. I was still a pig in the mud. But he wasn't. See, he was a sheep. And I called him into the mud and I said, come on, we need your help over here. And, you know, he gave in a couple of times and, and I, my pressure did that. And he came and he jumped in the mud with us. Then I noticed him immediately when we were done, he jumped out and he's gone again and I say, what, your wife running your life or what? That's, that's as far as I could take it. That's all I knew. It was only later after I got saved. That I looked back. I saw what happened. And I realized what I'd done. Oh, I'd let him, oh, I'd pressured him. See, I just, going straight, your wife's running your life. That's all I knew, because I couldn't understand having a nature that was different than the nature that I had. <laughs> but the Bible says once we're saved, we become partakers of a divine nature. And that connection with God, that life he puts inside of you, connects you to the God of heaven and he touches your heart and you can't do the same things you used to do. And I remember going, after I got saved, um, my band was still going. 
and they said, hey, we got this New Year's thing we got to do. And, and I thought, oh, you know, I could feel in my heart that I was a little grieved at that. And I thought, well, I just don't have the fortitude just to say no to these guys. And I remember saying, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And <laughs> so we went there. There was hundreds of people and we were going at it. And that whole night, I was just so grieved in my soul. And I knew that something had changed. See, I'd been saved. I'm a sheep now. I'm just like my brother was that day. <laughs> Come on, get over here. Help us. And <laughs> jump in the mud. And here they were saying, hey, jump in the mud. And I went into the mud one last time. And after that, that night, I says, guys, I'm done. I'm no longer a pig. I can't do that anymore. I'm going to tell you something. Salvation... It's not just a religious thing. It's a nature thing. So he says, beware of dogs. Beware of those that put on a show. Beware of those that, that speak good and they, they, they convince you. They even look religious, but in all reality, they'll always return back to their nature. They will go back and eat their vomit. Now that's gross, but it helps you remember it, doesn't it? In Second Peter Chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. Of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they escape the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So they had received the message... But they didn't receive the message. They heard it. They knew it. But they never trusted it. And the Lord said, people like that, that will not trust Christ after they hear the gospel, it's better that you would have never heard it. Wow. But it says, but it happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The nature wasn't changed. The Bible tells you that if you're a born-again Christian, that your nature is different. Well, you say, preacher, I've never changed. Can I ask you to evaluate that? Can I ask you to think about that a little bit and maybe ask yourself, am I truly a child of God? Did I truly trust Christ? See, getting saved is not having Jesus in your head. Getting saved is having Jesus in your heart. There's a difference between your head and your heart. See, your heart, your head is like the hard drive of the computer. That's where things are stored. So all the Sunday school stories, the stories about Jesus dying on the cross and what he did, that's all up there. And you say, oh yeah, I'm not against that. I'm, I'm not rejecting that. Folks, if you haven't received it, you've rejected it. 
and to receive it. It must be more than just stored on the hard drive. You must put it into the processor. Now, the thing about your heart is this is when we know with Valentine's Day, we have the picture of the heart on all of our cards because it's a, it's a, it's a picture of love or affection. So what happens is when you actually trust Christ as your Savior, it moves from the hard drive into your heart. This is where the trust takes place. Trust has a lot to do with love. So if you've received Christ as your Savior, you've actually trusted Christ as your Savior. Well, I believe, well, you've got them stored anyways. Have you trusted that means if I were to tell you what are you trusting in if you were to die today and you draw your last breath at some point during this day and I were to ask you right now, you know you're going to heaven? You'd say, well, yeah, I think I'll be okay. Then I'd ask you, what, may, what makes you think you're going to be okay? Well, the next answer out of your mouth is your right way. This is your right way. And many people at that point say, well, I, you're already wrong. You're already wrong. The I is not there. Now you can say, I trusted in Christ. <laughs> but see, the apostle Paul is trying to get across to us here. He says, I counted all but loss. All but loss. See, all those eyes there, that answer that you would give, well, this is why I think I'll be okay. See, that's a list of your right ways. Well, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So you can't just bank on the fact that it's your way. You have to know why it is your way. Now, the Bible tells us the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to go to God you got to come through his son. We know that's the only way. That's the right way. Amen. So Jesus has to be your answer. <laughs> he says, beware of dogs. He says, beware of evil workers. Calling them out as dogs and evil workers warns God's people to keep a distance from those that will hurt you. Because an evil worker, that means that the message that they have for you is going to damage you. A message that is apart from Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation is going to hurt you and your family. That's why the apostles, they're dogs. You don't spend time with them. You don't listen to them. You get them out of your life. It's not talking about all those people that maybe have listened to them or maybe they've deceived them and they need help. We're talking about those that have made it a point to deceive people into their right way and they're dogmatic about it and they will not heed the scriptures, the word of God. It's dangerous. Amen. So in Matthew 7 verse 6 it says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. So the evil worker aspect is the harmful aspect of their character. Those that look good and put on a religious front and they've got the whole religious thing and maybe it looks convincing because they have the big buildings, they have the big money, and they've got the big organization. Folks, that don't save a soul. Those are all those things that you have to count loss. 
I've, told, I've, I've talked to people that because some churches had money, because they had a big show, that's what convinced them that they must be right. That's not right. They could be dogs. They could be evil workers. And then he goes on to talk about, he says, they are the concision. Beware of the concision. Now the word concision simply means to cut through or cut off or a cutting away. It means a mangling, a mutilation. A mutilation. Now this is important in relation to their context because they're talking about the Judaizers. They're talking about those that held to the law of Moses. But then when Jesus Christ came, they began to take the law and say, if you don't do these things, you can't be saved. So they started to add the law to Jesus Christ. And one of those things was circumcision. And that's why the Apostle Paul played on words here. He says, don't, he, they would call these people the Judaizers. They would always call them in the scriptures the circumcision. But he says, beware of the concision. Because the circumcision given in the Old Testament in Genesis, where he's talking to Abraham, it was there to give them a sign that they were different than the heathen people. So the Jews, they would all, all be circumcised to identify themselves as, as God's people among the world. It would differ them from the people around them. But today, that's not what God turns to for us. He doesn't want us to have that type of sign. Now the Bible says we have to have the circumcision of the heart what differs us from the world is not what we do in our rituals or what we do in our outside life or what we see out here. It has to do with what has been changed in here. What makes you different is that your heart has changed. And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting across here. He says, these guys are trying to bring you into a religious ritual that is simply going to condemn your soul. They are the mutilators. Even though they held to an Old Testament law, they tried to add circumcision to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in Acts 15 it says, And certain men, which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. These are the dogs, these are the evil workers. These are the concision. If people would have believed what they said and they were to die, they would go to the place called hell. Because you cannot trust in the law. You cannot trust in something you have done. In Galatians 1 verse 6 it says this, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And it's talking about these same Judaizers. He says, but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, defines what the gospel is. It is the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection. Those three things. Let's turn there. <laughs> I've got to show this to you now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I don't have it in my notes. Because I think you need to see this. So we know that these people were perverting the gospel, which means they were adding something to it. So in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Gospel means good news or good message. Which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. So how are you saved? By the gospel. It says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. That's what I was talking about, unless it's been in the storage and you haven't trusted. It goes to say this, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You know what the gospel is? Just what I read you there. Nothing else. No baptism, no church, no this, no that. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, came to die for your sins because you were guilty in the court of law. You stood guilty before God because you committed a crime. You sinned against the holiness of God. If you've ever told a lie, if you've ever done anything wrong, it's proof that your nature has been corrupted. Amen? You're guilty. The judge has said to you, guilty, death. Romans 6, 23 for the wages or the payment of sin is death. Jesus looks down. He sees you in the courtroom. You know what he says? These guys are sinners. But I love them. That's why in Romans 5, it says, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saw us. They're guilty. He says, they're going to hell, all of them. They're all going to hell. I'm coming down to die for them. Jesus, the perfect son of God, the only one that never deserved to die, the one that was perfect and kept the law 100%, never deserved to be in the courtroom. He stood in there. He walked up and said, Father, I will take their place. He became your substitute. But God commendeth, showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Those two words, what's that? For us. For us. Two little words. You know what those two little words mean? That he took our place. We had that sentence of death on us he says, I'm going to do that for you. Folks, if I were to go to your bank to pay off your mortgage, I'd say, I would like to pay off this person's mortgage for them. The next day you go into the bank to make your mortgage payment, what would they say? Would they take a payment? No, they wouldn't. They'd say, well, your payment's been made. I'd say, well, how did that happen? Well, someone came in and they paid it for you. 
So if God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why do you have to be concerned about him being eternally separated from God if Jesus Christ did that for you? When he was on the cross, as he was suffering right before he died, he cried out, It is finished! What's finished? The payment. One man died for all. Not just any man. The God-man. God in the flesh took your sins upon himself and suffered terribly for you. While he was on the cross, he looks up, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the sky went dark for hours because the Father in heaven turned his back on his son. The very presence of his father left him for the first time in eternity. I don't understand how that works, but it happened. He had never been out of fellowship with his God. He had been with his father forever, for eternity. But that day when your sin was laid on his shoulders, the father said, son, I've got to turn away from you. I can't look on this. Jesus says, do it, father. You see, your sin is that bad. That same separation that you and I would experience if we do not trust Christ is what Jesus felt on that cross that day. See, atheists, those that don't believe in God, they don't understand what it's like to not have God. If you can enjoy the light, the sunlight, the Bible says that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. But it talks about the lake of fire. It's a place of utter darkness and absence of light. Do you understand that hell is not having just a little bit of God? Hell is being a place with no God. You know, there's no person alive today, no matter how wicked they are, that knows what it's like to be without God. The Bible says he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. You can wake up in the morning and enjoy the sunrise and be deceived that somehow you're okay because the sun just rose. But God just saying, that's just my grace to you. I want to show you that I love you even though you don't love me. The very God that created the sun and lets you enjoy the warmth of it even though you will thumb in his face. I don't care who you are. I'll do this my way. Oh, the Bible says every man turneth to his own way like a sheep being lost. Rebellious bunch we are. Yet the Lord still loves us. See, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Well, why is it so important that he rose from the grave? Well, if he didn't rise from the grave, he'd just be like Buddha. 
If he didn't rise from the grave, he'd be like Joseph Smith. He didn't rise from the grave. He'd be like every other false cult leader in this world that is still in the grave. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was not in the grave today. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that this man continueth ever making intercession for us. He is praying for you today. And if you're lost, that same one that took your sin upon his shoulders is now sitting at the right hand of God, talking about you, praying for you, because he wants you to be saved. He loves you so much. He didn't just die on the cross and then just forget you. He died. He was buried. He rose. And then for the next thousands of years, he's looking. He's saying, please, Father, save that one. Oh, today, you can have people praying for you, your mothers and your fathers and your brothers, but there's nobody that is praying to the extent that Jesus Christ himself is praying for you right now. He loves you. He's given you everything. Everything. He's not taken one thing from you. But he's given you everything he's got. Don't die and go to hell. Don't reject him. Don't. You may be here today and say, Preacher, (laughs) I've always said I was saved. I've always been religious. But you know you're not saved. Don't play the game. Don't gamble with your soul. If you keep going back to the mud, it's because your nature's not changed. Always going back to the mud. Do you understand that? We've got to come to the place where we understand that salvation is all about what Jesus did for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. And all we need to do today is receive it. That was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. See, it's a new birth. It's a change of nature. Jesus Christ has come into your heart. See, maybe there's today, there's got to be something you've been holding on to, saying, well, this is my way. This is the right way. You've got to count that loss. Not just cancel it, but say, this idea has been keeping me lost, has been keeping my family lost, and if I don't change my idea, my family's not going to get saved. Can I tell you something, dads, today? If you're not saved, do you understand that you've got the power to help your family receive Christ as Savior? They say the, the, uh, the chances 
of a family getting saved, if the father gets saved, increases by 75%. If the mother gets saved, only 25%. But dad, your kids need you to turn to Christ. They need you to put all those things aside. They need you to tell them and say, kids, I've come to the conclusion here that everything I've ever trusted in, it's dung. I count it lost today. And I just want to let you know that Jesus, who died on that cross, I'm putting my heart, whole trust and heart into him. He did it for us. He took my place. Amen. If that judge is going to come to you and ask you to pay for your crime, are you going to pay your own like that man who swung the door in my face? I'll pay my own. Well, that's an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire in the place of utter darkness. That's your own. But if you'll turn to Christ, his payment will be applied to your account. Your sin imputed to his account. His righteousness imputed to your account. Amen. And you can stand before your God.